0: Hey, everybody, Jessica DePazzi here. I'm coming to you from Dodge City, Kansas, currently, where I am recovering from a barbecue meat coma and three days of endless driving. (laughs) Jeff and I and uh, our dog, Baki, we're all making our way out to our home in Phoenix from Manitoulin Island, Ontario, and we're almost there. I just wanted to publish this symposium that I recorded with one of my best friends, Dr. Danielle McGinnis, who you probably hear me bring up from time to time on my show. She's a holistic healing coach, which means she can help you fix anything from your body movement to healing your mind and soul. She recently did a pretty big and brave career transition from physical therapy to depth psychology. And so on this show, we capture that and we also cover dreams, reoccurring dreams, why they matter. We get into her new specialty, which is Jungian depth psychology the benefits of sitting with emotion both your emotions and others emotions and then finally we cover complexes and projections you can follow dr d on instagram at dr danielle mcginnis she's a really great follow because she's an ocean of knowledge and she shares it frequently so if you're into learning stuff that will be a good add to your social media stream enjoy the show sitting down with you, we could go on for hours and hours and just deep dive into so many rabbit holes. So I have a series of questions for you and loose topics that we can touch on. But if we go way off course, we can just surrender to that and follow that white rabbit wherever it goes. Does that sound okay? Yep. Awesome. (laughs) So before we get into that, would you tell us who you are and what your deal is? I see you as this ultimate, mirror goddess, someone who's this embodiment of uncomfortable healing energy. But then also you wake up at the crack of dawn to work out. You have a very strict regimen that you stick to. You're training for Ironman. So you also have this masculine warrior side to you that might not be so apparent in this conversation because I find in conversation doesn't always come up that way. You're very feminine. So yeah. Oh, what what are you about? <laughs>
1: Um, well, I just changed my persona from D 20 to actually my name. So now I'm going back to myself more. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Danielle McGinnis. Maybe you'll, you can kind of pick up your own perceptions of me there, but I guess how I'd like to describe myself. I think you did a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really am about embodied, I don't know. Rick and I were talking about this the other day. You know, I don't know if I work more in the healing space or more in the personal development space. I think there's a lot of shadows in the personal development space, and I think there's a lot of shadows in the healing space. And so I feel like I sit right on the edge of both. And I think that that kind of hits on what you talked about how I have a lot of feminine qualities, and then I have a little bit more of my masculine. And so I think that there is an element of, what I really love to do in the world is just to receive someone's experience where they're at. And I I think that maybe that's because I felt like a lot of times in my life that that wasn't received. And I felt like I had to be somebody else or do something else or perform in a way to let people receive me. And so I really strive to, um, just meet people where they're at and just hear their story. I love story as, as a way to, to heal. And I think that, um, there's an element in the work that I do too, that is all about like action, you know, but it's not like the type of shadowy action where it's not intentional or, you know, there's a level of of embodiment, like embodiment actually is experiencing yourself doing something or feeling something or being something. And so there's a level of the work that I do in embodiment that requires action. And so healing just isn't hearing people's story. It's, you know, allowing them or guiding them in a way that helps them actually act this out and in their life and like they say they desire to be this person right and it's like well what does it feel like to be that person and helping them step into that space and a lot of my work he said uncomfortable healing and I like that because I think a lot of the work that I do is uncomfortable because I'm pretty straight up with people and saying that like I'm not going to fix them like that is 100 percent their job and they they are very capable of doing that and i think working in the medical realm as a physical therapist really showed me like how broken that system is right where it's like these people come to you and they have this this massive expectation to be healed and to be fixed And as soon as you point the mirror back to themselves, they like completely reject it or deny it. And it's just so interesting. And I think that a lot of people easily project the healer or the hero or the fixer onto somebody. And I think that over time if you are able to hold space for somebody's experience you can show them that they can actually do it themselves and so it's a it's a really fulfilling and empowering way to approach the work that i do because it's not like the outcome isn't based on me like i could care less about me and the process it's really about like just watching this beautiful story unfold and like i love that so much that yeah So, I mean, that's kind of what I do (laughs) in a nutshell. I'm, I'm a coach and a a mentor and yeah, really work with the mental, emotional, physical aspects of things.
0: What I like about the combination of what you do, one of the many things is that you're able to bring your medical knowledge and your deep knowledge on the the body and you Mm -hmm. can merge it with some of these more imaginative ways of healing yourself, like depth mm. psychology, for example. I don't know if we had brought up that phrase yet, but I didn't even know what that was until you were telling me all about it. And, and so in just doing some research on it, I, I mean, I'm in love with this. because a reason why I didn't get into psychology when I was young and figuring out what I wanted to do, even though I guess that no is- No pun intended, Right. <laughs> Like I got into, because I thought psychology, my limited, my limited understanding of it back in the day was that its purpose is to make you normal, to make you a functioning, productive person that fits in with everybody else. Mm -hmm. And that's the last thing that I wanted. I know that you focus on individuation, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the complete, perhaps the complete opposite of that, which is finding Mm -hmm. who you really are. But yeah, that was my understanding of psychology. And so I decided to get into being a publicist, which seems like a weird 180, but I wanted to point out what makes weird people interesting, people who have Mm -hmm. have a story to tell. And so I went down that route and down marketing and all of that. But then I've come back to this point and then meeting you a few few years ago and just realizing now the scope of what depth psychology is, it's just really super interesting. So if I could lob up a question for you, how how are you finding that your background in medicine can help you in this new, really imaginative world of depth psychology?
1: Um, Honestly, I think it probably is the most challenging thing that I've had to face thus far, because a lot of what i earned my doctorate and this doctorate is very linear rational type of knowledge and so it's like okay so if a, a patient presents with this it means this and so there's a little bit of element of like problem solving when when you're trying to figure out what's wrong with a patient but still it's like very diagnostically driven and The thing about depth psychology that really interests me is that it takes away the emphasis on the diagnosis and it focuses more on soul work and who you are and how that actually affects your experience. And so I think that it's really been stretching me to my edges to study depth psychology and I, you know, I'm starting like a formal program here in about a month and like I have my syllabus and like I, I'm like looking at the, the journaling questions and I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's, it's truly like going to put me at my edge because it, you have, there's an element of that type of work that you can't really stay rational you know and there's an element of so you know what depth psychology is it's it's really building a bridge from your unconscious material into consciousness and so a lot of i was talking to Rick about this the other day too like a lot of personal development work is about building consciousness on your consciousness right where it's like okay so you're reaching into your unconscious maybe a little bit but like really you're just trying to like gain more awareness and do more doing, right? And like a lot of depth psychology is about like truly digging down into like the parts of you that you didn't think were accessible. And so that can be from active imagination or through dream work and dream tending and shadow work, things like that. And so to think of dream work and like I've been doing this for the past couple months is like, you know, when you're assessing your own dreams or listening to somebody else's dreams, you know, like someone will be like, well, that didn't really happen. And it's like, it didn't in the rational brain, right? It didn't rationally happen, but it also did happen your psyche is is bringing up these stories and trying to piece together these stories. And m- like most of the time, they represent something. And if you look at a dream through a specific lens and try to do like a, an analysis, you can really see like where your ego is positioning itself in the actual world. And so a lot of things that represent um, fear, Of the ego can be shown to you in a dream. And so it was really interesting when I, like this past summer with COVID, like I really didn't do a lot of any big business decisions. Like I was just like, receive, 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 like discern, get clarity. And that's challenging for me too, because I lived a lot of my life in the masculine. And so I was spending a lot of time receiving. And it was interesting by the, I don't know, probably like a month ago, I had just like a series of dreams where they were like, I call them like bad man dreams, you know, where you have like someone chasing you or mine in specific was like this mafia guy that kept showing up at my door and he was like dressed in this black suit and like super intimidating and powerful. And so like, Looking at that from a rational lens, it would be terrifying, right? Because you think you have this intruder coming in trying to, like, hurt you. But what I really perceived out of that is, like, I was – had this fear around the masculine energy and, like, really – putting my work that I had like received into the world. And so I had this like fearful energy to actually do the thing. And it was, it kept showing up in my dream. And I, you know, some like at first my dreams, I was like running away from this like bad man. And then towards the end, it was like, I told him to leave. And so I stood and I knew like what position he, like where he, I guess, where his position was supposed to be in my psyche, and so it was just, like, a very interesting experience, and, like, diving into this type of work, it's, like, you kind of have to let the logical and the rational go, and um, another thing with that is, like, we can so easily fall into, you know, like, the, the perfectionist or the conformist, like, archetypes, where it's, like, to be a successful member of society, it's like conform or do your work in a way that isn't coloring outside of the lines. Right. And so a lot of times, if you start to move in a direction that like, you know, doesn't really, I guess, foster creativity, it feels like you're going down the wrong path or something. And so with depth psychology, it was like, oh, this is a path where they actually like foster the crea- the creatives. And it just felt like my soul was so heard and so seen. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I love, I love to read as a kid and I love to imagine and, and play with like dolls and Barbies and I would make up these games. And it's like, now I get to do that in my adult life with psychological work. Amazing. Like, I'm so excited because it just felt like when I was doing physical therapy, it felt like I was like living a lie almost because I didn't feel like my my soul was really expressed. But with that, um, you know, a lot of the things that I learn, I can use them as foundational knowledge, you know, like I know about the anatomy and the physiology. And so I can understand like how the emotional responses are registered physiologically. So I know what's going on and the pathways and, and the hormones and all the, all of that stuff. But it's like, I don't want to give you a resistance band and tell you to do three sets of 10 of something and th- call that soul work, you know? <laughs> so I think that, yeah, it's stretching me to my edges for sure, but it's also bringing me closer to my soul at the same time, which is super exciting.
0: That is super
1: exciting. I'm
0: so glad you brought up dreams. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> so, I, well, first I want to ask you, do you know why people don't dream? Because there are some that just. Um, I think
1: that, you know, the unconscious can be very, it's a very powerful thing. And so I do know from all of the research and the reading that I've done that, you know, like when it's, When you're working with anything unconscious, like it's good to have a mirror or somebody that you can talk through stuff with because you can get really lost in the unconscious energy because it's so powerful. And I think that when the unconscious has repressed a lot or there is a form of trauma that is perceived to be, quote unquote, too much um, that the body feels like it can't possibly handle this, this thought, right? I think that, that repression over time causes us to, um, really just cut off our imagination because imagination almost come, becomes like this scary place because like, like I said, although the unconscious reveals some really positive things, like we can use it for, for play and things like that. Like there's also a lot of like really dark stuff that can live there. And if it isn't fostered in a way that um, I guess is a little bit like safely guided, I think it can become a a monster, you know? And I think some people, They don't consciously do it, but I think it just becomes this like pattern of repression where it's just not looked at. And so even I've noticed that once I've like consciously started to pay attention to my dreams and like really try like before I go to bed, like kind of set an intention and then when I wake up, like pay attention, like what happened there, I start to realize that like it's... I'm dreaming more, and yeah. I think that I don't know. I think that it's it's a really it can be a really useful
0: tool if used appropriately. So I oh I love all this. Um, I know that one other reason why people don't dr- dream is because they're not getting enough sleep. And if that's your case, then to anybody who's listening. I was recommended a book by Dr. Mike T. Nelson called Why We Sleep and it is amazing and it can really give you so many great lifestyle changes to help you get to that level of REM that you need access in order to dream. Mm -hmm. Like you, at a certain point in my life, I discovered the benefit of remembering my dreams because I used to have recurring dreams, like crazy. When I was younger, I had this recurring dream so frequently and I thought it was real. It was me jumping off of my second floor staircase and like flying down. I remember being seven year old and having this dream constantly. And then at some point being in a semi-sleep state in real life and walking up to my (laughs) my stairwell at my house, my childhood house and preparing to jump. And at that moment, coming back to, okay, wait, am I dreaming or is this actually happening? And then realizing at that moment, I need to figure this out because I'm afraid I'm going crazy. Like, I literally had that thought. Like, I don't know now why this is important, but I need to look into it. And then ever since then, I had this fascination with why recurring dreams happen. And we're talking about Rick a lot on this episode, but Rick is Danielle's fiance. Um, Rick was with us in Costa Rica at the beginning of this year and we had this conversation on reoccurring dreams and I had this theory I hadn't really looked into or had this conversation with anybody that if you can understand the lesson or the purpose behind this dream it'll go away because that's always then after that moment how it worked for me I would still have a recurring dream of oddly enough being on a cruise ship for whatever reason and then it turning into a carnival and then seeing a shark in the water just totally incoherent but i finally after weeks and weeks of having this dream determined that it was seeing danger that nobody else is seeing and then being really anxious about it but maybe it's not a problem and then once i solidified that lesson it didn't happen again that dream didn't happen again it was so interesting
1: yeah i i like believe in that so much i think that you know, the unconscious tries to communicate with us in a, in a number of ways. Um, oftentimes because it's not rational, um, humans don't really pay attention to it. Right. And so the way it tries to communicate with us when we're sleeping is through dreams. But you know, if that's repressed and not paid attention to, then oftentimes what pops up is a physical symptom. Mm -hmm. of the repression and so it's like people are wondering why these physical symptoms are happening and it's like yeah there's other clues there too like like this isn't just like you're not using your physical pain as a roadmap like there's other maps that you can use to actually the root
0: cause of this right yeah I eventually want to I'm gonna make a little note here to write talk about tarot cards, because that's another map that I found a few years ago Mm. that was surprisingly helpful, despite my preconceived thoughts on it. Um, But on the topic of dreams, so Rick, again, we're at the process. (laughs) This podcast is going to be called Rick. (laughs) Everything you need to know about Rick. (laughs) So we're at our event, and this was weeks before you were going to come meet him for the first time
1: yeah never in person
0: ever. <laughs> and we have Dr. Brian Pinko Pinko. crap, I always mispronounce the name. Pinko. He's on our team and he's a, a chiropractor and he does emotional release therapy or technique. And one of the interesting side effects is that if you haven't dreamt until that point when he does it, you will dream. And I don't know if Rick specifically wasn't dreaming, but he was. Not he, said he doesn't betting he, on like, it.
1: Yeah, he doesn't he, dream a lot. He didn't prior to that
0: either. So, yeah, so interesting. So he goes through this session with Doctor B one on one of our downtimes, and the next day he says he has this insane, intense dream. He said it felt like very coherent. Remembered every conversation. Felt like it was real, happening about him meeting his ex-girlfriends his ex-fiance her what was it like she had he like forgotten to pick you up at the airport or something and she went to go get you and yeah, brought so like, you
1: basically he was on his way to come get me at the airport mm. i was supposed to be flying to denver and some guy was like hey you you have to come with me i'll help you go get her And he's like, well, she's here. So like, I can't, you know, (laughs) I can't leave. But he like trusts his instinct and goes and follows this guy. And this guy is like basically making him like run around this whole spiel of places. And he ends up landing in his ex-girlfriend's living room or something. And it was like some some type of, um, I think I was there. I think I was like, I showed up there or something, and I think it was just some, it was representative of like, you know, that relationship really being like leading him to me and like this release, and it it's so funny because like we had not even met yet, like we hadn't even had talk of like being interested in each other, like it was crazy, <laughs> it was like the most nuts thing. Um, I probably didn't do the dream justice. <laughs> But, um, the whole point was that it was just felt like this divine, like kind of release from the past and like, you know, following the path, it's fine. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, it's just, it's really nuts. Yeah, (laughs) really, it sounds crazy. My, he told my family and my pap called him a bullshitter. And that's so funny (laughs) because I'm like, that is so representative of like how people
0: perceive dreams. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I remember the next morning we get up at the butt crack of dawn and do our thing and amidst the chaos that is our event he pulls a few of us aside and was like I think I'm really really into my friend who I haven't met yet (laughs) (laughs) and he was super confused and wasn't really sure if it was just the of being out in the bush in the freezing cold with him in his little blanket that he was ill prepared for <laughs> and he was slowly freezing to death. Or but whatever, you guys are getting married now. I mean It's crazy. Not to say that, you know, those aren't yes. typical results, <laughs> but,
1: yeah. but it's I something. Mean, it's definitely I think that they can really I I think that just shows the power of this work. I think that, you know, there's a whole like groups and like societies of people that are dedicated to like Jungian work and like these like foundations and articles of people. I mean, the the Jungian schools of work. And so it's like, obviously if it was complete bullshit, Mm. then this wouldn't be the case. But there, I'm starting to find that This type of work, I think, is popping up uh, more and more because the collective is almost like needing it, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, I mean, Young talks so much about the collective unconscious, and I think that 2020 is just like, if, if you are not seeing what problems lie in the unconscious of our societies, like, look at it. It's Mm -hmm. there. Like it's definitely being mirrored to us. It's only if we pay attention to it. So I think it's definitely needed. I think the work is, is really profound and I'm really excited to see kind of where it,
0: where it leads and where it ends up. So yeah. You're, you're literally studying shadow work. Like that's all you're doing, right? Um, Except we were earlier talking about how our methodologies are just slightly different and so I think it's really interesting to look at some of the origins of where all of this came from. So I, I just think today we don't often look very far back. We often, based on our current perception of our, our next generations always being smarter than the ones prior, it I think we get lost in that. But um, I was looking at the relationship between what I study, which is the I Ching, and your Jungian um, focus. And I found that in the early 1900s, the I Ching was translated into German and Jung had written a a foreword for that. And then it was translated into English. And they think that the I Ching really caught fire in the United States or in the West um, or in English speaking areas because of that foreword. And Mm. I found out that he had this interest in Kabbalistic mysticism and an asian philosophy and so to him the 64 hexagrams of the i ching they provided this really great example of of uh, his notion of archetypes right and that it was a powerful tool for exploring the unconscious which is all what this this work is about mm-hmm. as well as it being a device for um, this careful scrutiny of of your own character and your own attitude and your own motives, much like how some modern Christians, our friend, Rick, or not Rick, (laughs) always Rick, uh, Aaron, Aaron Guyette, had sent us this YouTube video on what the Bible really is, which I thought was fascinating. And again, it was less about, a guide for what's right or wrong but more of a scrutiny on your own character as you read it as you read these archetypal stories of just humans in a different time how do you measure up in there what emotions does mm-hmm. that evoke in you and i love that this concept of creative self-understanding is proving to be really really like appealing to all kinds of people right now and like to me it inherently feels less sick and i I wonder, are there certain types of people that are more drawn to going through depth psychology as a mode of healing and personal development versus like other types of psychology?
1: Yeah, I think that one, it depends on how it's presented to you, right? I think that uh, another thing I wanted to mention is, yeah, Jung definitely in his work was deemed kind of like, a mystic, and he was looked at as the fool for a lot of his work, and yeah, and it, it really took years and like kind of his dark night for him to like really. I mean, he wrote so much; like, he has so many collective works that, like, through these works, people were really uncovering this like magic in this gold. And it's so funny that he, in one of his works, he put like, um, like, thank God I'm not a Jungian. Thank God that I'm young because he just, he really was, um, dedicated to just figuring out internally what's going on with him and like dedicating his life to that instead of like, just going on this like philosophy that's given to you. Right. And I think like a lot of people want to i think it's an easier route to take to like have something just handed to you right and i think i love depth psychology because it's like you know it's not like you don't just read a textbook and like remember the facts it's like no you're going to watch films and you're going to read fairy tales and you're going ah. to novels and like <laughs> try to understand like not only like the archetypes within the story but how that resonates with you internally too and so I think there's like a level with depth psychology that you have to give yourself permission to access those parts of yourself and like I said a lot of people have cut that part of themselves off because you know, maybe in kindergarten, they started to color outside of the lines and a teacher told them that that wasn't following the directions. And so it started that young that our education systems are just not really built for the creative and the imaginative. And I think that maybe t- with time, I think it's like, kind of fostering that a little bit more. But I think if we present it to people in a way that like some of my favorite questions that I ask clients are thinking back to when you were a kid, what are three qualities of your childhood? Like the you in your essence that were like some of your favorite memories. And so one of my clients was talking about like just contentment and just ease and another one was what else did she say um playful and I'm just like ask so I'm like okay we, we're starting to access by like asking them those questions or trying to like feel what it feels like to be in those states right you remember like what it was like when you're a kid in those states and so I ask her I'm like okay so now today in the present moment like do you feel like you're fun Do you feel like you play? And she's like, no, not at all. And it's like, it's interesting because those aspects that we name about our childhood that were the most creative and the most imaginative are now parts of our shadow. Right? Yeah. And it's like, Mm. yeah. And it's just such a good way to... You know, if I were to tell her like, okay, we're going to use our imagination and I'm going (laughs) to tell you these things, like it, it sounds a little nuts and woo woo a little bit, but it's like if you present it to them in a way that allows them to, you know, access positive emotion while they are in this experience, right? It kind of reinforces going there and I'm like, okay, so what does it feel like as an adult to be in that? That play, you know, that fun version. She was like, Well, you know, when I play with my daughter, you know, I feel like that. I'm like, Okay, so the next time that you play with your daughter, like, I want you to immerse yourself. I want you to be like in that kid version and let me know how it feels, you know? And so just like really giving people space to open up to a different way of being that isn't so, um, conformist you know like yeah that really just you know most of those things that people like name back to me are their soul like that's part of them and their essence and so allowing them and mirroring to them like parts of themselves that they haven't let exist <laughs> since they were a kid you know like it's it's really beautiful truly because it's like you you feel the energy coming from them that's like excitement joy like it's like fulfillment so I don't know it's just it's it's really I think it depends on how it's presented to you if someone were like oh well we're gonna talk about metaphysics and drive into transcendence and all of these like really esoteric topics that depth psychology can go into like Mm -hmm. it might fly over the heads of some people but if you're work wanting to work with people and use it like I think that you know, using like archetypes are truly just patterns of like human existence. It's like, what is underneath of the patterns of humanity? And it's like archetypes, like story, myth, like all of that lies underneath of our existence. And so that's something that everybody can relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, the biblical series by Jordan Peterson is like, one, it's an amazing way that uses psychology and archetypes to like really bridge biblical archetypes like into, so you can start to understand the Bible um, more than just religion, right? Mm -hmm. More than just a belief system. It's like, oh no, he's telling the story and like really explaining these patterns of human psychology.
0: It's really interesting. Yeah, I love that. I think that the Bible, deserves another look at. Now it's like a lot of people, when they talk about Buddhism, we were even talking about this earlier. it's, It's like a lifestyle. It's really nice and comfy. And there's so many lessons that you can take or leave or whatever. But when you look at Christianity, there's this, wall a lot of shadows there lots of stuff lots of bad history there uh, in the catholic and protestant and all that stuff so yeah, it's recovering not like- catholic over here <laughs> Got <it>. yeah same <laughs> um <laughs> so it's like sure there's a lot of undoing that that the religion as a whole sort of deserves but mm-hmm. it's not like buddhists are untainted as either but uh the Bible does hold so much great wisdom that I'm really excited for you guys to be going through it and relooking at it. I haven't gone through it since I was a kid, but at some point it's
1: interesting to see because like young did a lot of work and he had a lot of like religious overlays of like the stuff that he studied and you know, I was telling you about like reading how like Eastern and Western kind of individuation models overlapped with each other. And it's, it's interesting too, because I have this book, I think it's called The Ego and the Archetype. It's a really hard read, but it, it really lays out the foundations of how like, like the symbolism of religion and Christianity and different things and how we can look at that and, and use that to our advantage. But, you know, like I said, I think that what Jung describes as individuation, which is a path back towards self or back towards soul, um, is, or if you use like a buzzword, like authenticity, right? Um, I think that that Common theme of individuation is seen in so many different religions. Like Mm -hmm. they're saying the same thing, but in a way different way. And then just over time, different thought models and things like have been placed on top of it. And now there's shadows there. And like it's just a mess. But like (laughs) if you look at like the underlying pattern of it, it's like, oh, well, that's like a pattern back to the soul, pattern back to the self. So it's really interesting. And I'm really excited, honestly, to go through this program while Rick is simultaneously going through his master's because there's so much overlay there. Yeah, like There's so much overlay. And I think that what it's really getting down to is like how the different ways that you can just become like an amazing human, you know, mm-hmm. the most expressed human, and you can do it through a Christian route, or you can do it through a Jungian route, or you can do it through a Buddhist route. Like there's so many different ways that you can do it, but it's just really
0: exciting. I think. I keep writing down notes here. Like I'm not going to get back to any of this stuff because every last thing we are saying, I want to talk about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so Jeff right now is studying quantum biology and I'm studying oh, of the shadow work stuff. Right. And it's like, when you put it all together and we have these conversations, Jeff and I are much like you and Rick. We're in the morning. It's like, okay, we're going hard, you know, one cup of coffee <laughs> yeah. and just Whatever relentless. comes out, conflict, I don't know, <laughs> <Right>. maybe. <laughs> gosh, that's interesting. We we experience conflict in the morning <laughs> because we have our most intense conversations right when same. <laughs> oh <gosh>. same, same. <laughs> we should pull that apart offline. <laughs> um, so, but what we, because we're studying very different things, but the through line is common, With quantum biology, and mind you, I I don't understand any of it, so don't try to get any information from me at the moment. But it's to oversimplify it, it's often about your level of awareness and and the love Mm -hmm. is the thing that can regenerate your cells and have spooky quantum events happen. It's like all in consciousness and expanding consciousness is shadow work, is depth psychology, is Christ consciousness. All of it is the same thing. And I just get really yeah. giddy when it's like, it's well, all the same.
1: <laughs> so if you go back to like Eros, like the symbolism of love, like Jung did a lot of work with that. And so there's, uh, you know, even just you bring that up, like there's so much overlay there. I'm like, man, that's exciting. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think no matter where you like poke and prod at it, you can kind of come to similar themes. And I think it's just whatever you know interests your particular personality or your your particular soul. I think is um, equally important too. Just holding yeah. space for other people to like be interested in what they're interested in is cool too as long as we're trying to be better humans and we're not trying to be like shitty humans, like let people
0: explore, you know? Yeah. That's the big key there, which is sorry. I'm looking at Jeff and Falky just like fighting outside. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, I'll cut that out. (laughs) So in that, uh, where was I? Oh, exploring. Open mindedness to me seems like a really big key in all of this. When you go through your program or you're reading a book, I find that having an open mind around something, you see something you don't agree with, but then you store it away and consider may, that may or may not be true, um, but it's triggering something for me. And that's interesting to look into. And I think that to me it seems like the problem with what like a, a limitation on people's exploration of different topics mm-hmm. when it comes to agreeing with something like tarot cards. I brought up, brought that up earlier. I know a lot of people listening are thinking like, what, that's like not real. It's, it's a way people determine the future, which is not the case that 's also what I thought, but i i 've always had an open mind about these things, so i 've never had a real judgment on things like that. But all mm-hmm. of those cards they just represent energies that are out in the world they're they 're archetypes, mm-hmm. and they 're meant to be triggering because it 'll represent something like you 've planted a seed, but there 's still more work to be done, something like that mm-hmm. and all these triggers are great, as you know, because there are your own red flags that are telling you oh there 's something there that I could benefit from untangling, and so tarot cards uh, this Awesome tool that I love it 's a way to um, trigger something in my unconscious it 's like like light psychology in a way and to find out mm-hmm. what i 'm actually thinking about more than i realize i 'm even thinking about it to find out what 's important to me before I even know consciously what 's important to me and mm-hmm. there i mean there, it does other things like there are some studies that have to do with intention and resonance and what that does mathematically to like the probability that you'll choose a certain card or something like that. But beyond that point, it's each card tells a story much like in your podcast where you'll go over a myth or Harry Potter. They're just little stories that you can see yourself in and you don't, you can watch all of Harry Potter, Sorcerer's Stone and just zone in on that mirror um, scene that you were talking about. If desire is, A shadow for you. It's just, like, such a great way to then observe something, like, enjoying a movie.
1: Dude, I am, like, I was telling Rick last night, we watched American Beauty with Kevin Spacey, um, and, man, that movie (laughs) is just the most representative of, one, shadows, and two, projection. Mm -hmm. It's, like, so artistically done. It's such a weird movie, but it's, like, such a good representation of what repression and projection can actually do to humans. And it, it's just so, and we watched, um, what did we watch? Um, it was like the wild and wonderful Oz or something with it was like a newer one with James Franco. And it was just, um, you know, what was going on within his psyche, like representative of that. I'm like, Oh my God, watching movies through this lens is so awesome. Like it like really opens up so many different like ways that you can like really see the symbolism exist. And it's like beautiful. It's like, it's (laughs) art. Um, but coming back to what you were saying about tarot cards, like, I think that, you know, there's triggering events, like the things that I like to tell clients is like, I like to use the phrase, notice that because a lot of times we are going so fast through our lives that like we don't notice when like our unconscious is trying to like give us a sign, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, so if you actually maybe have this physiological sensation come up, like if you pull a tarot card and it like closes your throat up or it makes you like feel like some form of disgust and you actually realize that, like, I like to encourage people to say like notice that out loud because it like pattern interrupts and it's like, okay, so if you say notice that to a number of things, you're going to start to notice a pattern too. And so once you start to notice a pattern in your triggers, then you can start to like kind of move into that, the shadow work and see like what, where the complex is, like what's underneath the shadow. Right. And so, um, I think that there's a lot of, a lot of golden nuggets there in those physiological sensations. And I think that I like to use, you know, sometimes I feel like emotion gets a really bad rap, which makes me sad, no pun intended. Um, But I think that emotion work, I think a lot of, a lot of our culture represses feeling anyway. But I think like with a personal development space, it's like, fuck your feelings and do the thing, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like your emotional states are going to be one of the key indicators of like your internal landscape, right? And so maybe it's like the discernment of, of, of a choice, but also like if you're getting reinforced with positive emotion, like that's where you start to have motivation and that's where you start to have drive and that's where you start to get goals and that's when you your perceptions of the world start to change. And it's like, emotions are so important. And it's like, if we just say, fuck your emotions and like do the thing, we are leaving a lot of our experience off of the table. And so if you wanna open yourself up to experience more of life, I think learning to hold more capacity for your emotional experience and not deeming it as like something to be shunned off, right? It's like, of course, we do not want to sit in negative emotion for a long time, but we do want to acknowledge it and Mm -hmm. like not really understand the why, but also like just really start to like sit with it and understand like, oh, this is like, I'm angry. I'm not anger you know, like I'm experiencing anger right now. I'm not anger. And like, once we start to over identify ourselves with the negative emotions, I think that's when we start to get into a little bit of trouble. But if we use them as our guides, just like dreams, just like tarot cards, just like anything else, we start to like, really, again, have another roadmap to our soul. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think
1: that it's just really important to add that in there that triggers, although uncomfortable as they may be, are you know, some of the, the golden nugget, shall I
0: say, of our human experience. Totally. You had mentioned earlier that exercise that you'll do with your clients where you ask them to identify something in their childhood, like a, a desired feeling, and then to go back into their childhood to remember what it felt like. To Is mm-hmm. that correct? Mm-hmm. So when I was playing that out around in my head, as you were talking about, okay, what would I say? I, I remember being younger before I had started to disintegrate myself, disintegrate, disintegrate. Um, and (laughs) I, I remember I'd always had a hard time being a little girl in a group of a lot of little girls. I Mm -hmm. felt this sense that I, that people were wearing masks and they were being different around each other and they weren't being themselves. And so, But I remembered enjoying that feeling like I know what's going on here and I was okay with that. And it wasn't until I got a little bit older that it started to get very uncomfortable where Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I knew how to meet people, meet teenage kids where they're at with, we're just, you know, the masks are heavy and so thick (laughs) when you're a teenager. (laughs) And so I, I numbed that feeling with all kinds of things, all kinds of vices. And um, (laughs) so, and then it wasn't until several years ago, like coming an adult, I'm like well off into my adult years that I realized I liked that about myself. And so my desired feeling was to bring back that awareness and that interest in what lies beneath the surface, which got me started in this work. And so, but if I had that belief that Intense emotions are bad. I would never consider that a desired feeling because it's not happy, it's not play, it's not joyful. Even though I love all those things, the place where I feel most alive is in conversations like this, and where we can get really deep. And that's why, still to this day, I do have a difficult time just chit-chatting, you know, and like how's how's the weather, Jess? So it's hard <laughs> for me to do that. So I was like, I'm it's not possible. I try. I do. I do try. Um, but yeah, so and also I'm guilty of this to where people say, "Oh, I'm kind of emotional right now." My immediate thought is, "Oh, I'm sorry. Like, is there anything I can do?" I'm glad that you brought that up because it's a nice reminder to when people are feeling emotional. It, like, are you asking to feeling differently about that? Do you want to talk about these emotions? Because the last thing that I want to do is invalidate this experience right now, where you're feeling safe mm-hmm. enough to tell me.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, that just came up for. Um, one of my last client calls, her mom had done something. And I was like, Well, I think the best thing to ask her in that moment is um, Are you doing this for me? Or are you doing this for you? Mm. Right? Where it's like a lot of times we rush people past their emotional experience or we try to fix it with something. And could you imagine if someone was like, Are you saying sorry for me? Or are you saying sorry for you? <laughs> right? Like, what a mirror. And that just yep. leaves people like to reflect on their experience. Mm-hmm. And instead of projecting their uncomfortable capacity for emotions, it allows them to turn inwards and take responsibility for how they're showing up. And I see this, <laughs> I mean, I see it at, like, I'm no different. I see this all the time in my relationship where, you know, if something becomes uncomfortable, it's like, try to take it away, fix it. <laughs> shut down do something and it's like can you stay in this and not fix it right and that's what I'm talking about when it when I'm talking about expanding your capacity to experience something and again circling like full circle to embodiment it's like you have to experience that you have to teach yourself what that feels like to sit with someone's sadness or Mm -hmm. sit with someone's emotional experience and like I think that that is, is crucial if you're working with other people, like it's something that I've really had to work through a lot. Um, I like lived, I mean, like anybody, I think we spend the first half of our lives, like building up the mask, building up the ego, building up the persona and like stripping that away is really painful, but I feel like in order to, I do feel like my gift in this world is to mirror And I can like pick up on, you know, what's coming up for people and Mm -hmm. for some reason they feel safe with me. So that's good. (laughs) Um, But in order to like as consciously as I possibly can not project my shit onto them, like it's like I have to like teach myself that it's okay for someone to cry their eyes out in a coaching call and me just not react. You know, like if I were to say if someone was like having a really intense emotional experience and all they needed to do was cry, but maybe their dad told them when they were little that like crying's for pussies, right? Like if I would say anything to try to make them escape that, that would just bring up a father complex, you know, and that would Mm -hmm. basically reinforce the shadow and the shadow would go into hiding a little bit deeper, and so it's, like, super uncomfortable to be in some of these coaching calls. But, like, I truly want to live my life on the edge, you know. And, like, I, I want to do my best to help humanity. And I, I do believe that a lot of times that starts with the individual. And that's where I really like to shine, um, like, with the one-on-ones. I love working with people one-on-one because it's just so intimate and, like, um, so much, I don't know, there's so much there, um, but it, it takes me to my absolute limits, and also being, like, okay to say, like, like, I am bringing up this, or, like, creating this form now for my clients to basically rate the session, because I want feedback on, like, one, like, what was working for you? What was not working for you? Like, what did I say or what did I do that wasn't working for you? Because if I, if I know that and I can accept that and I don't do like the shame thing and make it about me and say that I'm flawed, then I can actually truly like meet someone exactly where they are. Mm-hmm. And also, I think another positive part of that is like a lot of people feel bad to give people feedback. Cause it feels like they're like criticizing somebody yeah. or they can't like speak their truth. And so another kind of goal for me in that sheet is for people to learn to voice what they need, you know, like, oh, nice. yeah. So it's like a lot of times in relationships, it's like, okay, I need you to hear me out a little bit more. Right. I need more space but they can't say it. Right. But it's like, if you can actually do that in a one-on-one coaching container and your coach can actually give you the space, it teaches you that you can say your needs and not be punished for them. Like we were when we were kids, you know, so I'll go
0: back. I'll go. All goes back to being kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, good. so good. Um, you'd mentioned earlier projection. Could you explain mm. a little bit about what that is? Yeah. So a lot of times
1: when, you know, our shadows come up, I I do believe that we heal in relationship to other. Mm-hmm. And so we have ourselves, and then we have other. And so a lot of times what we see in other people that we don't like within ourselves is we're being mirrored our shadow, right? And so if we don't have like the conscious awareness of that, we tend to either we don't typically sometimes I guess you will see people like attack themselves internally and not project it. But a lot of times I think it, I think it's like a cultural thing or collective thing because it's just so prominent. I mean, our president is like a project, like he projects so much shit onto other people that I'm like, okay, this is being modeled immensely in our country. Um, But yeah, so if we can't handle the pain that comes with that mirroring, typically we end up projecting it. Or if we have, say, someone is triggering, we're in this relationship with someone, right? And they're like triggering a mother complex within ourselves, right? And we project this image of something onto them. And so it's our way, I think, of responding to the shadow, But also I think this is actually, I mean, I I'm definitely researching this a little bit more, but I feel like this is kind of how we map the world. We like projection isn't always unhealthy. Like we, we create, so we see somebody, we meet somebody in the street. Right. And we have to give an image to that thing, that person. Right. And so, you know, use the example of like, you meet a pretty girl. Like if you're like a really shy guy, you meet a pretty girl and you project like the princess or the queen onto this girl. And then that kind of like mirrors back to you that like, Oh, don't talk to her. Right. So it's like that feedback kind of, um, maps out how we work in the world and how we move in the world. And, you know, it's really interesting. I had this massive realization the other day about social media because I'm like, I would love to write like some form of dissertation on the impacts of social media from a depth psychology lens. Um, But I think a lot of people, and I experienced this when I had my like rise to social media influencership or whatever you would call it. I think a lot of people projected the hero or like the, I don't know, the warrior goddess or something onto me and When you feel that projection, you feel like this pressure, you feel a lot of pressure to live up to this expectation of you. And when you can't hold that pressure, it's like almost rejected within yourself. So you reject that part of yourself. And so a lot of times you see this in like celebrity, right? So we project this image onto celebrities and when they don't live up to it, we're like, oh my God, they're nuts right? Or they like, they, they fall from like the pedestal that we put them on. And I think that that is so predominant in social media, in the influencer space. It's like we project this image of perfection or hero or, you know, goddess onto these people and we don't realize that they're just fucking humans trying to figure it out. And I'm pretty passionate about it because I think The fall from that and like holding those projections and trying to keep it together is really hard and I think what transcends that projection is is just facing your own shadows Mm -hmm. and saying like okay so what is this bringing up for me and like I could could have never said like oh people like if someone told me like in the height of my Instagram rising like oh people are projecting this image on you how are you processing that I would have been like what what are you talking about (laughs) you know but I feel like as I've stepped into this different way of being stepping into that different way of being is like my response to the projection where it's like I will not hold this projection that is yours I am choosing my soul right I'm not choosing your projection I'm choosing my path and that for me, honestly, behind the scenes has been very really it's been hard because I have a lot of validation wounds and a lot of um wounds for performance. And like I, I think that um it takes a lot of courage and that's kind of what this year has been for me is just trying to courageously step towards self mm. and
0: reject the projection of culture. Ooh, that's super interesting. I just yeah. did a podcast on the layers of conflict and the fourth mm. layer is power control and projection. Mm. And so the theory behind that one is it's all about where you lie in the hierarchy and social media can be considered our most modern version of hierarchy, how many people, how many followers do you have? Well, you can see very specifically what you, where you stand in the world in a- It's such a a pseudo (laughs)
1: representation though, Mm -hmm. you know? Because it's like, I could have 90,000 followers, but 80,000 of them are fucking creeps that are, you know, just only following me when I would wear workout clothes.
0: Right. You know? Because you lived in that world so- heavily, it was how your business thrived and where you also found some value in your earlier years. Um, By identifying the projection of others, you're also projecting because you're like, If you're in an argument with your with your partner and you feel you say something like you're making me out to the be the bad guy, that's your own perception of the hierarchy happening there, as well. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting collective healing that's happening between influencer and follower, because you're both getting the effect of that cord being locked in as you being up here, them being down here, and you feeling that pressure, also feeling that level of conflict because you in the hierarchy are where sitting in a place where people are asking you for advice and looking forward to your next thing and I think I I saw this a lot and um and I think it's a a big wound
1: shadow of um western medicine Mm -hmm. where it's like doctors up here patients down here and doctor is higher than patient and I don't believe that at all and I think I had a lot of I think that was a lot of my internal conflict with working in that space because it's like a lot of that business is very like outcomes driven where it's like you're not a successful practitioner if you're not fixing people and it's like um yeah but that's not true. Like I'm actually, it's a little bit slower process, but like we're unpacking the root cause of it. Right. And I just think that there's so much of that hierarchy, like you're talking about in our Western society. And I think it takes, I take, I think it takes the person that is projected to be the hero or whatever, or the doctor to like drop the ego shit, dude. Like come down to the level of the human that you're actually trying to help or to serve or offer value to. And I think that's the only way that you can do it is to just truly like face that internal conflict that you're feeling when you're, when you're holding that projection instead of to project it back.
0: Totally. Yeah. Um, What about complexes? No, that's something I haven't, I don't know anything about.
1: Oh, so, <laughs> complexes, um, it started. So, Jung and Freud worked together for a bit there, and then they had the splitting. Mm-hmm. And I think that the biggest splitting really was because um, Jung didn't really, well, he believed in the collective unconscious, and Freud thought that, that was bunk. And then he also just realized that, like, a lot of the sexual things that Freud was basing his work in were not valid. Um, but with that to say um freud you know developed the concept of the complex and then jung really took that that theory and and just kind of like ran with it and that's where like the shadow comes from is from the complex and so complexes are basically um you could think of them as triggers as like a simplistic way of explaining it but they are the unconscious heavily energetic experiences in our everyday that represent something within our unconscious. And so, yes, a lot of times I see, um, things kind of manifest and I actually, um, you know, was unpacking one today about perfectionism. And so perfectionism also sometimes comes from, um, basically an emotion emotionally absent mother and then a distant father and so you're trying to chase this standard of like so basically the father is out like working and doing and you're trying to chase this standard of excellence and so you can develop either a mother complex or a father complex depending on what what kind of hits for you when you're a kid Um, I think that we have complexes around a lot of things a lot of people have money complexes um but i think with that there you know it's nothing to be like shamed about you know like i think i think that there's a lot of gold there and i think that complexes are a complex topic I feel like if you actually like unpack them deeply, I actually recorded a 40-minute podcast on it and I didn't hear it because I was like, oh, God, <laughs> this is complex. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so if you think of it on a in a simplistic way, it, it's really the intense emotional energy that is underneath of a wounded experience of some kind.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so trauma sometimes can form complexes within the psyche. And so um yeah, I think that shadow work is a great way to work with the complexes. You know, I think that uh what was I talking to a client the other day about? We were talking about something and oh, her lack of being productive. She's like I just don't have a routine, I don't have a schedule, like I just feel like in eh, right now, but like basically at this point in time, like the person that represented her father figure in her life was like kind of like separating himself from the family. And so a lot of masculine energy is is kind of related to that, like structure, discipline, devotion, the doing. Mm-hmm. And so because that masculine um, part of her – Upbringing was being like kind of separated. I think there was kind of like this father complex coming, it was like manifesting in her every day, and it's just like very interesting. And I was like, Yeah, I could give you like we could do activities to you know block time and do like the superficial level personal development stuff, but I'm like, I think that we should work on this complex, I think that we should unpack this masculine energy here and and to understand what's underneath that. And the things that we talked about, she was like, yes, that's super resonating. And I'm like, cool, cool.
0: Amazing. Yeah.
1: So I think that it's a, a topic that can go, um, really deep, <laughs> but yeah, I'm still learning, still growing. So
0: I'm looking forward to hearing that podcast whenever it's ready. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. it's, it's sitting on my desktop and I'm like, I need to listen to that. Take notes, redo it, all the things. So.
0: <laughs> well, um, I have two questions for you cause I want to talk to you all day, but I know you have some other things to do, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so my second to last question for you is what do you think the typical hindrance is with people doing shadow work? Like why might people not want to start dabbling in this or part B how do people get stuck in it? You know, when people start doing shadow work and then they see too much and they're like, nope, and things are worse off than they were when they didn't Mm. know.
1: Yeah. So I think the reason why people wouldn't do shadow work is because it's kind of painful and it takes a lot of courage and acceptance to see where you actually are playing a role in this part of your life, right? Where it's like, if you're doing shadow work and you're doing it appropriately, there's an element of responsibility that you're going to have to take for the work that you're doing. And so for me and being in like a emotionally toxic relationship prior to Rick, it's like looking back at that, like doing the shadow work around that it's like, well, yeah, I did a lot of betrayal to myself there. Like what's mm -hmm. underneath that and like accepting those parts of myself. So there's a level of acceptance and compassion that, a lot of people tend to reject when it comes to shadow work. So I think that it takes um, openness, curiosity, responsibility, courage, um, a lot of things that take a lot of energy. And so because we're so busy all the time, this energy at first doesn't feel worth it, right? Like there's not like a really like benefit because it takes a little bit to integrate the shadow and make it part of our being. And so – you know, that's my life's question. It's like, how can you convince people that it's worth it when it's like you're
0: going to feel like shit for a little bit, and it's like it kind of exhausting, and it's like a lot of effort, right? Yeah, it's not like, hey, I'm going to help you make seven figures by becoming more productive. <laughs> it's like you're oh, probably going to quit your job, you're probably <laughs> so- going to break up with your boyfriend.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're you're just gonna, you know, unearth a lot of things. So the second question was why. What was the second question? It was like So some people will
0: start the process and then oh, get stuck
1: it in it. Stuck. Got it. Um, yeah, so I'm actually working with a client right now who is in that case. And I think this is where although talk therapy can be really helpful, I feel like only talking about it um is not enough. Like I think that where shadow work Um, really comes full circle and it becomes integrated and you unstuck the stuckness is through experience. It's through embodiment and it's through teaching yourself that you can be compassionate when you absolutely fucking hate yourself. Um, And it's sitting in that self-hatred and extending your self-compassion. It is, um, you know, wanting to project something back to your significant other but instead like turning the mirror inwards and seeing how your shadow's coming up like a lot of these things are really hard and but it's through i think this this action that really the shadow becomes um a part of you and i think that another thing is that it requires dialogue internal dialogue. And so if you are approaching shadow work from a rational lens, but you're not allowing yourself to access the shadow and actually speak and dialogue to it, whether it's through journaling or through just like narrating it, um, I think there's a part left untended. And so I think having that dialogue and that's what depth psychology is, it's, it's building the bridge from unconscious to consciousness it's instead of living on the poles of the opposites it's building the bridge and being able to walk across the bridge and hold that tension between the opposites not between you know not living in the shadow and being stuck in the shadow or not living in the light and and spiritual bypassing it's like being able to kind of like walk that bridge back and forth and and um experiencing yourself
0: and who you become in that process. So, yeah. Amazing. (laughs) Yay. Last question for you. What is your personal shadow work practice looking like these days? So if you're anything like me, it changes all the time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that, you know, because I just kind of shifted my business in a different direction, um, I definitely always do a reflective kind of practice at the end of the day if I'm working with a bunch of clients that I'm like, okay, so like what what came up for you here? Like where were you reactive? Like where did you want to jump on that? Um I'm always kind of trying to be aware with Rick. Um it's interesting we are we were shadow boxers when we first started dating, but now we're shadow dancers. I like that. Yeah. Shadow so dancers. Yeah. We dance within our shadows. Um, it's a little bit more of a nice little dance now. Um, but also I think that because, you know, I talked about like receiving a lot of this feminine energy over the summer and like now I'm going into like more masculine energy. I'm like really trying to, um, do some shadow work around just money and, um, just, you know, just the work around that, and I think that that's been kind of a focus because, um, I I think it's a I think it's a weird it's a weird concept, money. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much depth to it. I actually listened to a podcast on uh money through a depth psychology lens, Ooh. and it was super interesting. Um, so I just think that there's so much level to money where it's you know it used to be this this form of value exchange, like bartering, right? And like now it's just like these little invisible bits that are traveling through the ethers. And so like the value sometimes is like missed right? And like, we're not valuing money, but we're also don't, not feeling worthy of money. So it's like, it's a really interesting thing. And I think that because it's become this like invisible thing that we can't see, just like anything that we can't see
0: becomes kind of unconscious. So, um, just doing my work around that. (laughs) That's great. I can definitely resonate with that. It, money is definitely an invisible force that's been pounded into our value system since the day we were born right just like,
1: yeah and it's so different based on like your cultural upbringing and like where you lived in the country like so many different aspects of like money is uh, oh my gosh it's just complex no pun intended <laughs> like a freudian slip that's what they called
0: <laughs> oh that's what that means yeah so many light bulb moments um so i will be mentioning this when i pre-record the intro but danielle and i and jennifer mcmaster are working on the grace and grit program which will be probably ready in november 2020 we'll see because you know things happen 2020 is not the year to be setting expectations or serious (laughs) date for anything so who knows but that's our current trajectory and it's a course of emotional intelligence elevation where you can learn all of this stuff mm-hmm. and uh, Jen brings this really unique lens on speaking a different language a language of clarity to avoid conflict um, architecting your life through literally the English language and I'm sure it could be translated to other languages too but I'm not really sure how that works anyway I'll have you guys back on to talk about that program more in depth yeah. really fun Yeah. I'm really excited for that
1: program. And one of the things that we mentioned, but kind of behind the scenes was like, oh, this is like three women who are like just truly experiencing this work and how it's worked for us. And so it just reinforces how important embodiment is, you know, like, you know, I think there's a level of integrity there when it comes with teaching a course. And it's like, you can't say it works unless you've actually experienced that it works. Yeah, So I'm really excited to collaborate and just bring
0: the force with us. It's great. Definitely. It's called grace and grit for a reason. You experience the grit. We experience grit. (laughs) (laughs) And then you just cover it up with some grace and it's somehow... (laughs) dilutes the grit. I don't know. We joke that it's also called grease and grit because sometimes it just feels greasy. (laughs) Totally. totally. Sometimes it just feels like a hot mess. (laughs) (laughs) Totally.
1: Oh, yes. Thanks for coming on, Dee.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Yes, this was wonderful. Nice little deep dive for Friday afternoon. Heck yes. Love it. Thank you, Jess.
0: Love you. Bye.
1: Bye.